Welcome to the Sus Talk Podcast. I'm Susumu Rocky here. Now, this episode, I am joined by someone who I have done a few podcast episodes with back in college. And with the road to WrestleMania officially started, I think it's time to bring him on to talk some good old-fashioned wrestling. I'm here with the metal man, Andy Sahadeo. Andy, how are you doing? And did I get that pronunciation? Yeah. Yes, right? you actually got that perfectly. Thank you so much, man. Uh, it's like I, we never left. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Nothing's changed, man. Uh, I'm, I'm doing well, man. Just got home from work. You know, I'm hustling and everything like that. How you been? I've been doing good. Dual jobs and still thriving. That's all that matters. We are we keeping it full 100 here. Oh, yeah. That's how you got to do it, man. That's how you got to do it. I'm looking forward to talking some wrestling for, for like the next hour or so. Let, let's get to work. Let's get to work, man. Oh, man. So we're officially on the road to WrestleMania. We've just got past the Royal Rumble, and we have the second takeover, another takeover in the books. And I got to tell you, it's just so great, but this like road to WrestleMania feels so much different now because there's another element to the mix that people are going to be paying attention to now, which is AEW. We're going to be talking some Wednesday Night Wars. I don't even know if I want to call it the Wednesday Night Wars, though, because it doesn't feel like they're out to like get each other's throats. Right. right. It's more like we're tr- they're trying to just outdo each other. It's completely just... It, can you do this better than I? Right. It's like, or try to top that, you know? Right, exactly, exactly. And, you know, uh, no matter how you look at it, uh, WWE still will treat NXT kind of as the third brand. So it's really the third brand going up against AEW. But honestly, at the end of the day, you and I can probably agree that NXT is the superior WWE brand. So, you know, it's it's really just two great wrestling products just going at it. And at the end of the day, the winners of this war are really the fans, in my opinion. I could not agree with you more. So when they first introduced this, um, having two wrestling shows from two different companies on at the same time, mm-hmm. and everyone was hyping it up like, oh my God, this is what it's, I'm going to experience what it was like to be during the Monday Night Wars, and I'm just thinking to myself, like, I get that, but we're it's so different because I could watch. Here's the thing: I tried doing a split screen thing; it just can't work because nah. it only works when you have like multiple televisions on, mm-hmm. you, which we both know neither of us have the money for that, right. unless you do, and you've been hiding that. You <laughs> nah, nah, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you, man. <laughs> I would pay for. I would kill for at least like dual dual monitors right now but the thing i think it's it's interesting because as i as we said like it's not like they're vicious or they're out to kill each other right and you mentioned how it's like it's basically wwe's developmental third brand Mm -hmm. against AEW's main show right i actually think that this is WWE putting their best foot forward, though. Yeah, exactly. Because like, you, you gotta have to think like, why didn't they, why didn't they like, you know, move SmackDown or something like that to Wednesdays or something like that? Were they not confident enough in their in their main programs or, you know? But 
at the end of the day, it's like, you know, NXT is NXT and, you know, that's what fans want to see. That's the most comparable product to AEW. And like you said about the whole Wednesday Night Wars thing and like how it compares back to, I guess, the Monday Night Wars, they're not like vicious, like going out of their way to like, you know, get each other. Because at the end of the day, most of these guys between companies, they're they're friends, you know, uh, Bucks got friends in NXT, you know, whoever Adam Cole has friends in AEW, his girlfriend works for AEW and stuff like that. Most of these people are just friends. It's it's it feels like friendly competition at this point. These people aren't out to like kill each other like how it felt well how it's represented how the Monday Night Wars are represented where it's like, oh, we're going to spoil the finish of your title match on live tv remember like when wcw did that um i believe it was with uh mcfoley winning the wwf title if i recall correctly you know yeah you're right yeah we're, we're not seeing that kind of uh competition today and you know I, i'm fine with that you know because these two brands they're they're just putting on some some great wrestling some great products and you know it's just a great time to be a wrestling fan especially being so disenfranchised with Raw and SmackDown for so long, it's refreshing, you know? I feel as though, because you mentioned that a lot of the, a lot of the wrestlers in both companies are best, are friends, like behind the scenes, they're like friends or close friends. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the whole wrestling climate in general has just completely changed since that time. A lot of the wrestlers are a lot friendlier. Mm -hmm. It's a lot like, you know, it's less, like vicious competition and it's more just let's try to put on a best show and elevate each other mm -hmm. type of feeling and it, i kind of see it too because like these guys are playing video games and like <clears throat> streaming like that ping pong competitions like together yeah so the co the whole like locker room culture has gotten so much better since like probably a decade ago like you would hear stories like the miz being forced to change in like a bathroom like a public bathroom right. because he got kicked out of the locker room right. whereas like today you really you rarely hear stories like that anymore. You actually hear like stuff like actually these guys are really like get along very well and none of them really have any bad things to say about each other. Yeah, hell yeah. I guess the only like negative quote unquote story I've heard in recent memory was when John Moxley was basically saying that when he went to Japan, they were just they were basically like trying to kill him during the G1. Well, and it's like understandable, you know, he's an outsider coming in. And, you know, he's, you know, fresh out of WWE. I understand why they tried to do that. But other than that, you don't really see see or hear much of these, like, people getting into, like, these bad stories anymore. Uh, I remember there was a story about, like, Randy Orton, probably, like, 15, 16 years now, where, like, he, he just took a dump in, like, one of the girls' uh, suitcases or something like that and, like... <laughs> I, don't think that, I don't think that happens today you know what i mean no i understand you i mean i think i mean like you know randy right now has hit the whole i don't really just give a single fuck anymore stage of his career right. like you could even tell on his twitter like by the way we're i'm allowing you to curse it's okay, okay. I know, I, you feel very restricted say, so i'm just gonna I wanted to say that he took a in her bag but i that's a PC about it yeah hold on you're so we're getting a little off track here, but like just in general, like the whole like feeling of the Wednesday Night Wars is like it's just friendly competition. Mm -hmm. Let's put on the best show possible, mm -hmm. and 
I think, look, AEW's, I think, is more sustainable because that's their main show and most of their best stuff is going to be on that show since they're rarely going to do pay-per-views. Like, they're not obligated to do, like, a month a pay-per-view every month like WWE is. Mm -hmm. So, for them, they have to... they have, they have to put their best best foot forward mm -hmm. in every show, every dynamite. They have to because that's the only way that they're going to get eyes on their product. Right. Right. Whereas with NXT, they can afford to make, you know, a few missteps mm -hmm. because they have WWE has inventory. Mm -hmm. Like if N NXT flounders just as long as Raw and SmackDown get numbers, they're fine. Right. Exactly. And my whole thing is that the, when they switched over to live, it was kind of like that was their way to kind of just combat with AEW saying, you're going to bring it, bring bring the wars to us? Fine, we'll bring it back. Mm -hmm. We'll go head to head. Mm -hmm. So for me, the switch to live was kind of like that big indicator that they still don't really, even though they don't really treat AEW as much as a threat, they still want to give them like something to compete against, you know? Right. So, but I'm my main point here is, I don't know if this live format in two hours is going to be sustainable for NXT because remember NXT was made, it was rebranded because they wanted to create a brand and a show that will help some of their younger talent, some of the guys that they're, go that they're going to bring in from either the indies or through their own performance center and try to get them up into good enough shape to where they are ready for the main roster. Right. And now they're kind of transitioned to where like, Oh no, NXT's their own brand. Like some of these guys, they're probably never going to go to the main roster because they're they just fit better in NXT. And heck, even main roster guys will probably show up in NXT just to like refine themselves or to like get that another spark into their careers again. Right, right. Yeah, um when they moved to live, I had so many like initial hesitations about it because I'm like what's gonna happen to the developmental aspect of NXT you know uh we're not really seeing much of like these random people like you know they sign like a hundred people at a time whatever and like so many of these people they're training in the performance center but then you like never really see them on tv or anything I remember there was this dude he appeared on NXT like initially like one of the first live episodes I think his name was Denzel something, Denzel Dijonet or something. But he was like treated as a jobber. But I know that like he was signed and he's working in the performance center. But a guy like him is never going to get TV time. You know what I mean? But also, I think what they're doing to, I guess, recuperate the developmental aspect is um, they're using a lot of their guys in Evolve. I know they send like Arturo Huas to to evolve like a bunch of times and stuff like that. I remember I saw Velveteen Dream versus Darby Allen at Evolve in uh, Queens, Queens, New York, and that was that was honestly a great match. But yeah, I think that's what they're gonna start doing now is you know kind of just you know you scratch my back, I scratch yours. Triple H is helping Gabe out. Gabe is helping Triple H out by having evolved guys go up against the lesser known NXT talents and stuff like that. Another problem I see with the the sustainability of NXT to your point is, you know, if they do bring these people, like how is the crowd going to even react to them because the crowd has like such a heightened expectation now that you know if they're not like an indie darling or anything like that then the the crowd will probably just like not care uh we saw it during takeover portland when dakota kai 
had like her had her match ended by the the running in uh Reina Gonzalez who got her name changed to Raquel Gonzalez for some reason but it's like people didn't know who she was she works the IXT live events all the time but you know people didn't really know who she was and that's that's a big problem it's like how do you get this person over or how do you get them prepared for you know NXT TV how do you like let people know that they're there but um, yeah, I guess the live events and the whole evolve thing really, I guess, counteracts that whole thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I feel you. I it's because like I was watching that match and I was like, who the hell is this person, Rick Will Gonzalez? Because I mean, never mind how I feel about Dakota Kai Tegan Knox the match as a whole. Like, because I thought it was a good match. I thought it was a good street fight. It was a great street fight, yeah, actually. I agree. It it was just. You know, when you have two former best friends in a Street Fighter no holds barred matches, it's almost guaranteed to be a banger because, like, they know each other, they know like exactly what to do, mm-hmm. and like one of the because like I think it was Dakota she hit like the trash can lid like right in like Tegan's face, mm-hmm. and it like it hit so hard, mm-hmm. it was so hard like she slammed the lid right into her face, and I was like, oh my god, I thought like legitimately she just like slipped hit her as hard as she possibly could yeah man and uh, but aside from that like i was kind of miffed at the ending because i was just like who the hell is this gonzalez person like i get it she's like she's tall and like she's kind of like viewed as like i kind of get a sense like okay she's a powerhouse and she's gonna now be like dakota's muscle you know yeah but i was just like but why did it have to end like this? It didn't make any sense to me. Right, yeah. The the crowd reaction just went kind of flat, um, which is weird. I thought it was a very weird decision to, like, debut her there. Um, you know, it was, it was just it just seemed so out of nowhere. At least, like, if she debuted on an episode of NXT where they, like, hyped her up or something like that, then perhaps people would have had a sense of who she was. But, like, nah, she just, she just completely came out of nowhere. Completely came out of nowhere. I know before Rhea Ripley's ascent to the top, they used to tag together uh, during live events and stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And I think she wrestled in the Mae Young Classic, but I'm pretty sure she was eliminated like in the first or second round or something like that. So, like, her presence is there, but, like, you know, to the fan who isn't attentive to that, like, you, you really have to be, like, in tune the reason i know a, a decent amount about her was because i followed her on instagram for quite some time so i i knew what her her pathway was so when i i saw her i was like holy shit it's reina gonzalez but now it's raquel gonzalez because i guess they can't go with reina or, or whatever but yeah that's that's a big problem for nxt is you know establishing these lesser known people now because the talent pool is just so big it's so deep and people want to see big names they want to see the johnny garganos they want to see the tomaso champas the adam coles and stuff like that they want to see the rhea ripley's uh the io shirai's you know what's it to them to to pay their mind to raquel gonzalez you know but it's up to her to prove herself and i think she'll i think she'll do well i think she'll do well i gotta take a look at her instagram page because i've that that way I'll be able to learn more about her. Mm-hmm. And I bring up like this whole sustainability thing because like I think they need to kind of go back and remind them remind everybody that this is a developmental brand. Mm-hmm. Like 
they should be championing just like their the performance center and their ability to train up new like newcomers mm-hmm. and not even just like established indie people like because they'll they'll figure out and get that's like an endless inventory because people are going to want to come to nxt because it's now officially been like four years of legitimately great wrestling and those and all the performers look like they're having like the best time of their lives mm-hmm. that's like not the issue the issue is just you have to they have to be able to prove to everyone that the, the performance center actually can develop capable wrestlers because here's the thing the performance center actually has churned out some amazing talent mm-hmm. like bianca belair is honestly the best greatest example of how great the performance center ha- can be to a wrestler especially to someone who's so new to the like the whole pro wrestling scene in general mm-hmm. like she barely has wrestled for five years and you look at how she her match with rhea ripley and it was incredible like i've met her when she hit the plancha the on um on rhea like it was so smooth. It was so flawless. Like, my God, she has pretty much kind of figured out everything. Like she's figured out how to showcase her athleticism, Mm -hmm. how to really kind of like own the ring, not only just like in terms of in ring, like match type thing, but just like in a promo or anything else in general, like she's really honed her craft. And I think in, in due part, that's because of NXT and the performance center. That's really helped her. And like, there are other countless examples. Like there are a few, like I'm pretty sure that Braun Strowman was in the performance center and then he went straight to the main roster. And now look at him. He's like one of the greatest, like big guys today. Right. right. And then Bailey Velveteen dream, who wasn't really like a household indie name. And then he made a name for himself. I was going to bring that up. Mr. Patrick Clark. Like he came out of nowhere. He's been wrestling for like, like Bianca Belair, like what, maybe a little over five years at this point. Definitely. Yeah. Probably over five years. And and, and he's still like really young. He's like, he has, I don't think he's like 25 yet. Yeah. I think he might be like, probably like two years older than us. I, I would say probably. That makes me feel really sad. Yeah, man. Well, to to make you feel even worse, Rhea Ripley is a, like probably a couple months older than me, which is she's like twenty four. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's oh it's God. really really weird. It's what like, are we doing with our lives? Right, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> crazy seeing all these people our age like come up now. It's the youth is they're really going hard with the youth movement, you know. And I'm all for it. I'm just like that's my whole point. Like they have to just champion like their ability to train up wrestlers. Like they shouldn't have to rely on the indie scene and get some of the some wrestlers who are already seasoned. Mm-hmm. And all they really need to get is like training on how to like adhere to all the cameras. Mm-hmm. Because that's what SD is. Like, part of the training is not just, like, getting used to the WWE style. It's just, like, getting used to, like, taking advantage of camera angles and, like, being able to, like, perform not only for the audience but for the television as well. That's, like, the main key point of having the performance centers to just get all these guys accommodated and get acclimated with like the style of having multiple cameras around you. Cause a lot of these indie guys, like they're not used to that. Right. And even like the performance center, I feel like you have like a, even though you're, you don't have like the, re- like the whole pro wrestling training down, like the actual in ring stuff down, you already have like a kind of like a head start in terms of just like how they want you to do promos and how to like take advantage of like cameras and, basically paying being mindful of like both the audience and the camera Mm -hmm. 
yeah, there's there's so many like little nuances that like you don't uh, get to experience on the indies that like NXT has to like cultivate within you and like you know, um, yeah, I think that's 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 a really good thing about the performance center is because like you know you're getting all these like useful skills that can translate to like anywhere in the wrestling world and it makes me wonder about like how AEW is like going about doing that because like they don't really have a developmental brand or anything like that. I guess the closest thing to developmental for them is is AEW Dark. You know, um that might be a problem for AEW as well. How how are some of these people going to acclimate because eventually they're going to start bringing in more and more people and stuff like that and and yeah, it's 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 interesting to see how far AEW's come, but they they definitely have a, a a ways to go, I guess, in that developmental aspect. What do you what do you think about AEW's uh, way of developing talent? It's interesting because like they're it's they're kind of like getting caught in like a weird like middle between trying to be like a legitimate like second rest major wrestling company, mm-hmm. but also at the same time they have like a strong connection with the indies right. because. A lot of these guys, like they don't, they only have very few of them actually know how to do the whole paying it, adhering to the audience at home, like kind of experience. Like Jericho, Moxley, they have that down completely, and like guys like Pac, and they have and Cody, they have it down because they've experienced, like they've gone through that whole like training before. Right. And whereas with the rest of the like the roster, never mind the fact that okay, transcendent talent's going to figure it out eventually. Like I feel like Kenny. And the butts, they've kind of figured out how to do it. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're already used to it, and they're they're like on TV enough times to where like they'll eventually like figure it all out. Mm-hmm. But like some of the other talent, like you see guys like uh, Kip Sabian or you know Peter Avalon or whatever. I'm just naming like some of the low, lowly ranked like people in mm-hmm. AEW. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them, like, they're not used to that. They've, they're basically just signed because, like, they're pure talent alone. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to be presentable on television, you have, you're not just, like, talking to the audience. You're not performing for the audience. You're talking to the, everybody at home, everyone on, like, who's watching via social, like, clips on social media mm-hmm. and everything. And I think everyone's going to get used to it eventually. Like, here's the thing. They've performed pretty well, even though a lot of their talent hasn't, like, gotten said, like, TV training. Right. They, like, basically, the town has basically won out. Mm-hmm. And I think right now, the fact that they've performed this well in the span of, like, the first four months is really, like, promising. Right. And I, and they haven't really had to completely just depend on, like, the elites that much. Mm-hmm. I I feel like, it, it feels like that because they're on, on TV all the time, but think about it this way. Kenny and, and, the, and Hangman Page just won the tag team t- titles like what a month ago mm-hmm. like and that was pretty much their first te- like championships in in AEW and then you have the bucks who haven't won anything yet in fact like in one of the first few episodes they get upset by some of the younger talent like some of the guys that didn't have said training in private party true true and then Cody has basically sacrificed his, his any chance of getting a championship by losing to Jericho mm-hmm like they're really trying to do their best to just try to elevate the rest of the talent. Like right now the main focus has been, you know, Jericho Moxley. Mm-hmm. Those two guys have been the biggest like stars for them right now. And for good reason, because they want to get eyes on the product one. And then, but at the same time, they're not, 
it's not only just that they're elevating the other established names, but they also have been showcasing a lot of younger talent too. Like a lot of other people that we don't know. Like, did anyone know who Darby Allen was before a AEW Dynamite? Yeah, exactly. What about what about Jungle Boy, Marco Stunt, Luchasaurus, man? I mean, people I guess knew a little bit about Luchasaurus from Lucha Underground, but he wasn't even Luchasaurus there. He was Vibra, and you know the whole Jurassic Express thing. You know that's that's a straight up homegrown act right there, and it's really really over. Damn straight, and not even just that. Okay, Orange Cassidy has already kind of has like a little cult following right now. <laughs> like, I I knew that he was pretty awesome because I've seen some of his uh, free matches on YouTube, which are pretty hilarious. <laughs> but he's really kind of stepped up, and now has kind of become like the like underrated, awesome, like always going to get a major pop kind of guy. Yeah, because I think I remember. It's like one of the brawls between um, or Santana Ortiz and the Bucks. You remember this, right? Where like they, one of them like throws the other into the like a bathroom, and then oh, who pops it? Yeah, Orange yeah. freaking Cassidy. He just yeah. po- casually there. He's just hands in his pockets, not not a care in the world, and he looked like the coolest dude out of everyone in AEW. Yeah, absolutely. It, I don't know how long that's gonna last, but oh my god, I I am so for this ride. Mm-hmm. Like man, like this is how they're gonna be able to develop stars. Like they gotta like everybody feels like you know, like they're doing this not because like that it was planned by management, but because like they had major input. Like I mean, Moxley has always been touting a lot about how what since moving to AEW, like he's feels happier he feels like he has so much freedom in what he wants to do mm-hmm. and that's kind of like the key selling point that AEW has right now and trying to like get other talent to come to come to their to their um promotion which is you get to do what you want to do we are basically here to make sure that your vision gets done right yeah that that's such a great thing to see in wrestling because after all these years of you know WWE having like this monopoly over like uh television you know it's it's really refreshing to see all these people finally get to like you know flesh out their vision of who they want to be and stuff like that we're not getting dean ambrose we're getting john moxley this is what people wanted uh dean ambrose to be but you know with all the parameters set by wwe and stuff like that and it's understandable it's it's wwe it's the biggest wrestling company in the world um you know, he wouldn't be able to fully recreate the John Moxley character. Just like, you know, say the potential exalted one, Matt Hardy, he couldn't fully execute the broken character in, in WWE because of all the parameters set, you know. And um, it's it's really just, it's a great thing to have in wrestling, really, is just that freedom to express yourself. Um my concern with that, though, is that, like, what if they sign a talent who's just, like, really, you know, rowdy out there and stuff like that and kind of just ends up going into business for himself, you know what I mean, and takes it a little too far? I doubt it'll happen because I know that Cody, Kenny, the Bucks, and the Cons, they're definitely definitely well-vetted in their approach that, you know, they can, you know, vet these guys out. And yeah, I just—it's just really refreshing to see, you know. It is, and for me, 
that concern doesn't really have like i'm not really too concerned about that because as you said i think they're really careful about who they bring into their company right. like there's no way they're ever going to bring in someone like ryback or enzo right like into their into like AEW, that's never going to happen right so but i kind of do want to like talk about we've been talking a lot about moxley because He's about. I think we both agree that he's going. He's like the next like AEW World Champion. Right? Absolutely, absolutely. He's probably. I. I want to say he's not going to win it ever at Revolution, but he will win it. He will be the second AEW World Champion. I actually think he will win it. Like, and, and we can like discuss Revolution as a whole at some other time, probably in like you know in our text or something. But I. Th- it kind of brings up the question because like once you have Moxley, but like who else needs to step up? For AEW this year to kind of bring them to like the next level. Who should, who's the guy that needs to challenge Moxley, who they need to like tout and like hype up to make him like a superstar, like someone that they view as like one of their superstars in their promotion? Oh, that's a very good question. That is a very, very good question. Huh? Wow. Um, who else is in the main event scene besides like the inner circle, Moxley and stuff like that? Damn. That is a very good question. That's my whole. That's another problem. It's like they got to figure out who that next guy is. Because for me, like I'll I'll take I'll give you my take on this. I think Kenny has to win the championship this year, the world championship this year. Mm-hmm. That like they have he is like the, their crown jewel. He is by far their best wrestler. Yeah, hands down, undisputed. Mm-hmm. He is still in his prime. Mm-hmm. You have to make him your champion because. Part of the the appeal with AEW and a lot of the fans that have coming from like the indies, they want to watch Kenny. Right. They love Kenny. It, it's and I kind of like their whole approach is that they're not making Kenny like super strong immediately. Like you saw it like in the first couple of weeks of Dynamite, like he was losing like a handful of matches. Like during pay per views, he was losing matches mm-hmm. and putting other guys over. Right. I think now you have to make him your champion. Mm-hmm. You got to make him like your guy because like he is like the ace, like your fa- the face of your or, like your whole show and your whole company. Right, right. Yeah, I agree because um, you know Kenny, he kind of floundered for a little bit, but like I'm glad he did because if if he didn't flounder, if he was made instantly like invincible from the moment that AEW started, people would have revolted because. Uh, you know, they're like, oh, they're making the executive vice president super strong, super powerful, super OP. But for him to, you know, go from main eventing like, you know, um, the Tokyo Dome and stuff like that with Okada. Uh, it was the Tokyo Dome, if I recall correctly, right? Um, yeah, from main eventing New Japan with uh, Okada to losing like random matches on Dynamite, you know, it's... It, it says a lot about his character. It says that he's, like, really, really humbling and everything like that. And eventually, I yeah, I agree. He's going to have to win the AEW world title this year. It's going to happen eventually. Um, regarding the Elite, if we can move away from uh, Omega real quick, um, the thing is with, with the Young Bucks, I feel like they're getting a little too overexposed. Like, oh, Cody gets attacked. They have to pop out. You know, Kenny Omega doesn't always pop out. Um if Kenny's getting attacked or something like that, they're always there and stuff like that. that. My thing is that they're they're there a lot on TV. And the fact that they went over in the tag team gauntlet match, like I get storyline-wise why they have to go up against Kenny and Adam Page. 
But damn, they literally beat the entire tag division. And I was just like, uh It's it's questionable. At the same time, like they haven't really like been as successful in terms of like their tag tag division. Like as I said, like the first few months of like Dynamite. They were like losing and giving like victories to a handful of tag teams. Absolutely, yeah, I agree. But at the same time, you know, you look at Cody. Cody is like basically like the top. Well, it's debatable whether it's him or Kenny, but like he's definitely up there in the upper echelon of the elite. But even he's not like overexposing himself, you know, to that point because I, even though the Bucks haven't been winning much. They're just there so much on TV, you know what I mean? So you think they should just, like, step back? It's like, okay, guys, settle down. I know you want to be in television, but you, you, yeah. you calm down. Yeah, I, yeah, because, like, you know, like I said, Cody, whenever he gets beat up, and he's been getting beat up a lot by MJF, like, that's a that's a whole other ball game we can get into. But, yeah, he's been getting his ass kicked by MJF, like, every— Like, actually whipped. Yeah, actually whipped. And lo and behold, Young Bucks are there. I get your friends, but, you know, it's wrestling. You, you don't always have to be there. Yeah, it's like, why can't you be like WWE where they basically have none of your friends come in and save you? Basically, literally. <laughs> you know. Like, nobody should. It's like, you don't have friends. You're a babyface. You can't have friends. Straight up, yeah. Like, even even Kenny doesn't pop out to save Cody Rhodes once in a while. And it's like, it's like see, know, Kenny gets it. Yeah, Kenny gets it, you know. Let, he let, understands let, how this works. Let, let Kenny come out and save the young bucks for a little bit. Let them Let, let them chill out. But uh, but uh, yeah, that's that's my only concern really with the elite is just you know a little bit of the overexposure with the young bucks. But other than that, you know, they're doing a great job. You know, Cody not challenging for the world title ever again. The oh, another thing with Cody, his entrance is just so long. Oh my god, the lights have to go out. You, get- you felt I felt like I've I've hit a point where you, you like had pent up like frustrations with Cody. Oh, who me? Yeah, no, no. I mean, like, well, not pent up frustrations, but like, you have like a list of nitpicks yeah. that you wanted to get off your chest. Yeah, and- yeah, yeah. It, it's like it's it's just tiny nitpicks, but like his extras are just so long. It's like lights go out, and then the the intro for his song comes in and stuff like that. You know, you fast if you fast forward it, you knock out like a solid two and a half minutes right there. That's like a- you think he's like you think he's secretly just like paying homage to the Undertaker, who's entrances last like three minutes yeah that's exactly what i was thinking but it's like yeah it doesn't have to be super long all the time you know save that entrance for like you know pay-per-views and stuff like that shorten it for the actual tv because two hours is a very short period of time i i feel you i feel you it and now i just kind of now you got me thinking like next time i watch the undertaker's entrance i'm going to see the number of times like the his theme song in like loops mm-hmm. and just count how many times it loops yeah, probably. for his like regular entrance. But like, okay. But like aside from that, this is actually a good, a good transition point for talking about Cody. Cause I want to talk about how amazed I am that he has become like their top baby face. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Cause like I've grown up with Cody as a heel for almost most of my life. Most of my time being a fan of wrestling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I grew up with, Cody as like one of the lackeys of Randy Orton and Legacy. Right. I grew up with Dashing Cody Rhodes, Undashing Cody Rhodes, Stardust when he was going through a weird phase. Don't forget about Team Rhodes Scholars. That was such a good Oh yeah, and they had that dumb mustache too. Yeah. Actually, 
Yeah, man, that ugly ass mustache. Mustache. <laughs> that was. And then, and then I'm also have him being kind of like a secretly like dastardly heel, based and undermining Kenny Omega as leader of Bullet Club. Yeah. It's like I've grown up with Cody as like a heel for almost all of my life. Wow, that, yeah, that, that's a good point. I I didn't even realize that that like he. He works so well as a face, yeah, hell yeah. It's he's it's never like it. It all started because like that that um that promo he he did uh, to hype up the Jericho match, mm-hmm. and that was so good. Everybody was just like, "See, that's how you cut a promo. That's how you do it." And then some of the other stuff like he's done, like the man has like kind of figured out how to like basically like work and get so much like crowd like crowd like getting the crowd so over for him mm-hmm. because you saw it with like the way that they did like the 10 like belt whips yeah which was like masterfully done right the first and because the like the one here's where the point where i started feeling really bad for cody and i really wanted him to get that get it over with which was when he when mjf got wardlow to take one belt whip and then he hit it so hard he hit him so hard that he kind of just collapsed and we all kind of thought like oh god he passed out oh no he's like he might be dead because yeah. <laughs> and, and this past week like the the steel cage match like i feel like Co- the steel cage match has kind of become cody's like main match because like he hits like that major moonsault from the top of the cage and like it's a mate it just looks majestic to watch. He has like blood all over his face and like it kind of just like he's figured out somehow over some way he's figured out how to become like the most over baby face in AEW. And it's just like this guy is so good. Like I don't question his wrestling skills as all you want, but like his charisma is, is so up there to the point where I would be booing his ass off if when he's a heel. Mm-hmm. But then, as a babyface, I'm cheering for him, and I hope that he actively hope that he kicks MJF's ass. Yeah, absolutely. His his crowd psychology is just really impeccable, and like everybody from the AEW roster can learn from that. He just has something like innate within him that that's just so. Uh, what's the word? I guess it's just like it's so resonant with people because you know that's a good he's, word. He seems you know very down to earth when he comes to when he. When he's a babyface, like you wouldn't expect that, especially for a guy who's been so like a heel for so long, for pretty much most of his career and stuff like that. And the way he's positioned himself, the way he's made like his presence, like almost like when you see him, it's like, oh, not this. Like it's never that. It's not like, oh, not this guy again. You know, he he makes his presence felt like every single moment that he's on TV, it counts for something. You know what I mean? I feel you. I feel you. He, and he doesn't waste no time when it when it comes to like his TV appearances. Yeah, I I mean, I still don't understand why Arn Anderson's like his coach. I don't think he needs like him in his corner. Mm-hmm. Like that's my only nitpick for him is just like why why is Arn here? I don't understand. Right, but. Because I, I, I think Cody can handle it by himself. He only has like a stable of friends mm-hmm. who, who help who have his back. He has his wife. He has like his brother yeah. and the Bucks and Kenny, and I guess Hangman. Yeah, I, hang, he still has Hangman. Yeah. So and like, what other help does he need? But he he's just figured it out, and the crowd is just loves him. Mm-hmm. And 
it's just amazing to me. Like this guy has pretty much tra- like transformed himself into like he's hit the next level. Yeah, and it's something that he's been trying to hit for a long time. But like the fact that I'm feeling, I feel sympathetic, and I'm and I'm rooting actively rooting for him, even though like he is like he is wrestling world royalty. Mm. He like the business is like bred into him. And he has like all the necessary resources possible. Like, and I still actively want to root for him. Like he's like as if he was like an, a downtrodden under, underdog. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And another thing that like makes Cody so commendable and makes him so like uh, makes people so sympathetic to him is the fact that he's feuding with like you know MJF, like one of the fastest, youngest rising stars in AEW. I could, I definitely see him winning the AEW World Title uh, someday. And the fact that Cody Rhodes is feuding with this guy that nobody knew about before TV started and anything like that, and the story that they've told because you know they came up as friends and stuff like that, and then MJF finally turned his back, and like we knew that MJF would turn his back eventually, like everybody knew that but at the same time when they when he did it was just so effective because cody's just that damn good of a face and like he makes mjf look so damn good and that's not to take away anything from mjf because mjf is a phenomenal phenomenal heel he's a year older than me i remember watching him wrestle and please stop making me feel bad (laughs) yeah my bad man uh i remember watching mjf wrestle in front of 50 people in a warehouse for creative pro which is kurt hawkins wrestling school because we're both from long island and to see him going from that to wrestling freaking cody Rhodes on national television in front of millions of people thousands of people in the arena and having probably one of the best programs aside from moxley jericho on tv is is just incredible and it's a huge testament to to both cody and to mjf mjf has huge star power he's amazing on the mic he's he good in the ring he's good in the ring he's he's kind of like he hasn't shown off in like enough of it i'm kind of glad that they haven't because like they're his mic his mic skills are basically masking for the fact that he's pretty unproven in the ring right now yeah exactly exactly he's just like the Miz, you know great on the mic <laughs> kind of like average in the ring but like you don't need to be a great wrestler when you're that damn good when you have that much charisma and shit like that because uh, at the end of the day he draws like the biggest reactions you know you could do all the flips in the world that you want but a guy like mjf he doesn't need to do all that because he's got crowd control he's got psychology he's got the charisma he's got everything down on his side i could not agree with you more it's just when i watch mjf and by the way can i just like was he always like this one even when he was wrestling in front of 50 people yes yes you know why because mjf is himself that's as a person who lived in as somebody who's lived in long island for 15 plus years that's exactly MJF. That he's he's a typical lid. A lid is what we refer to as Long Island douchebags, and he, <laughs> he's, a, he's a complete lid. He's a total lid. You know, pompous. You know, clearly rich. You know, privileged, and like he doesn't give a shit about what you think. And I've encountered plenty of people like that in my life, and he's that's what makes him such a good heel because people like that are so genuinely annoying and you want to see people like that fail and that's what makes him such an effective heel i it's it's amazing because like ever since he like he's shown up on television and he's been kind of like their biggest heel Mm -hmm. aside from jericho 
he the scar his scarf his signature scarf mm-hmm. i've seen it all over the place in the city for some reason oh, I, exactly I, it's like it's like the typical rich person scarf you know what i mean the pompous it, rich asshole scarf it's it's the it's like the the checkered scarf the tan checkered scarf that has like the square patterns all over it like i see that everywhere everybody wears it's it it's so and annoying. it's an eye color. <laughs> I think it's it's a co- definite coincidence because I I don't think anyone who buys a scarf is just thinking ooh MJF wears this I need to buy this scarf too yeah exactly <laughs> but bottom line this is gonna this is gonna be great this whole program has been incredible I can't wait to see what the first match is because you know this is not over yeah and it's a really interesting storytelling um, device that they they employed throughout this entire feud like they didn't touch each other not once they had like the three different stipulations uh, you know the lashes the the cage match and the fact that Cody can't touch MGF and like they just built up this so well because both guys have so much charisma and they have so much to offer and like the fact that they've kept this feud going for like how many months now? I don't even remember when the last pay per view was. That was probably like no, not September. Maybe like it's probably October. Wasn't October, it? yeah, probably October. And like, damn, they've been going at it for this long, and like, I'm still not tired of the feud yet. I'm still not tired. You know, so many people they can do all the talking they want, but eventually you just want to see them fight, and you know, you want to see Cody and MJF fight, but. You know, along the way, people people will get kind of bored, but like, nah, they've kept it so so refreshing and so entertaining on the road to revolution that you know it's it's kind of unforeseen for for quite some time. I couldn't agree with you more. Let's are going to shelve this talk of AEW because there's so much more we, that there is to talk about. Yeah, but with AEW, but I kind of want to go on to. Back onto the road of WrestleMania. That was a little bit of a detour. We exited into AEW lane. Mm-hmm. And then we were going to go back onto the road to WrestleMania. Because so many interesting things have happened. with, In regards to what the WrestleMania match card is going to look like. We know that Drew McIntyre will face Brock Lesnar. Mm-hmm. Which I can't tell. I gotta say. The Royal Rumble. This year's Royal Rumble was the best Royal Rumble we've had since probably... 2010 i think who won 2010 again what was uh, that was that was the edge return for that was the edge season. return yeah where he went on to face jericho and lost right yeah but like and that's like the last like memorable royal rumble match aside if if we're talking about positive royal rumble matches because i think like the last me- most really memorable royal rumble was 2008 when john cena came back or if you want to go back to when like the Royal Rumble winner actually won his championship, you gotta go back to Shawn Michaels and the Undertaker in two thousand seven. Right, right, exactly. Um, uh, let's let's talk about twenty eighteen for like a quick second. Uh, I was mm-hmm. I was so happy to see Shinsuke won. It's unfortunate the way things turned out, but like man, when Shinsuke eliminated freaking Roman Reigns, that was insane. That was absolutely insane. And last year, Seth Rollins was the most over guy. Granted, he's not the most over guy now. But back then, when when Seth Rollins, after he wrestled that 60-minute gauntlet match and stuff like that, um, yeah, that was just phenomenal. And when he won, so I I did like the past uh, couple Rumble winners. Um, I don't even remember who won in 2017. Was it Roman Reigns who won? No, that was uh, Randy Orton. 
Oh yeah, that that's when they ran out of people to fucking win the Royal Rumble. So they they just gave it to Randy Orton that year. They're like, yeah, fuck it, why not? That that Rumble felt like such a waste because it's like you know it's, it's Randy Orton. Randy Orton is gonna be there forever. You know what I mean? Yeah, and but let let's go like to this year's Royal Rumble though. It was great because there's two different like stories being told in the Rumble. You had Brock Lesnar basically like mowing down like the first 15 entrants. Which we didn't. I look, I I didn't like it at first, but then I kind of. But then after like the whole event, I was like, wait a second, that actually worked. Yeah, it like like the storyline like it made sense, but it's just the people that they sent out for Brock to mow over just hurt, man. You you had like Shinsuke, you had Bobby Roode. Obviously, they're not gonna win the match, but they just ended up getting violated by Brock Lesnar and. John Morrison, oh, John Morrison came back. Oh yeah, they did him dirty. Nine, he came back in not after nine years, got eliminated in nine seconds. Like, come on, come on, like, but <laughs> it it hurts. They, but I think the whole point was, he's he's not he's out there to hurt all of our favorite all of our favorite wrestlers. Yeah, just like making us feel really disappointed. Then Ricochet shows up for some reason. I don't know why he just doesn't eliminate Ricochet. Then Drew McIntyre comes in. He's all focused. Then Ricochet nails nails Lesnar to Nats. Mm-hmm. And then McIntyre and Le- Claymore kicks him out of the Rumble. Man, that was phenomenal when that happened. That was insane. Crowd erupted. And like he looked like such a star because the way he looked uh, at Brock Lesnar. He's staring at him. Oh, man. Like you could tell that was a genuine reaction of like, I'm going to fuck you up at WrestleMania. And like... <laughs> Uh, that made me so excited. I was like, hell yeah. Hell yeah. That was insane, man. A lot of other stuff happened. Like, like you know, the after the Brock's elimination, that's when Drew McIntyre's story started. And then after that, you had all the other stuff coming in, like Edge's return, which we could talk about that another time. I just want to really focus more on Drew McIntyre right. because, like, that's another can of worms, like Edge coming back. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Great return. Like, my skin crawled. Like, my goosebumps goosebumps everywhere man that was that was insane but you're going back to drew mcintyre as you were saying yeah so he wins the rumble eliminates roman reigns which is basically bonus points at (laughs) at that point Uh, he looks amazing he looks like a star and the way that they've been booking him since his rumble win it's been great i love the way that they've he looks like a star and he's kind of continued like he looks very comfortable when he's doing a promo yeah and they kind of just at this at this point they just i think they've hit the point with him where it's just like just get out there be yourself but my concern though is that like i i just hope they don't turn him into like such a corny baby face by the time wrestlemania comes around that people forget that like he's this big dastardly like you know scottish psychopath because like this man is doing the the jump shot and stuff in the ring he's calling himself the sexy scotsman is like it's funny yeah it's it's cheesy it's, but it's I've... cheesy yeah i'm like that please don't overdo it wwe please don't overdo it there's a fine line to be teetered when you do something like that and wwe has a habit of teetering way over the line and screwing things up so that's just my concern with like turning Drew faces that like you know I just don't want him to be like a super pandering baby face you know what I mean? Yeah, I understand. I understand. But I think what's amazing about him was that he wasn't as hyped up, and it's just kind of all 
naturally fell came together because he really started gaining like slow momentum and they did the whole countdown thing like a month before the rumble yeah that kind of like really started like he was starting to gain momentum like very recently Mm -hmm. so it was and then i look at the uh the rumble odds because i like looking at like I, I still can't i don't understand why vegas does this i don't because like you know you know how wrestling is yeah. but uh, so they had like his numbers like they had raymond's was the i mean i said raymond's reigns was like the favorite like odds on favorite to win the rumble and then like mcintyre was in the top five I was like oh look is what is this yeah mcintyre oh and you look at him now and it's just like i think if they do this correctly i think they're gonna have like a month where he's just basically just doing the whole pandering thing for a month. But then once Lesnar retains his title against Ricochet, which we both know is going to happen, mm-hmm. he's going, like, I think that's when they're going to really focus on, like, the whole backstory of Drew McIntyre. Because we all remember that the whole story with Drew McIntyre is, this is the guy that Vince anointed as the cho- chosen one. Mm-hmm. He was the guy that Vince thought would be, like, the next great superstar. Right. He didn't live up to that promise. He gets cut by WWE. He's goes all over the world to improve himself. He comes back bigger, stronger, and better. Right. And he goes through NXT, makes the main roster, had, you know, and then fast forward a couple of uh, meaningless main roster year year and then boom, he's back into he's in the main event picture where he sh- where he was destined to be. Well deserved, man. Uh you you think about where he was last year. He kind of had like that meaningless burner match at wrestlemania against roman reigns and now he's going to be in the freaking main event that's that's insane honestly and i'm so i'm so happy for him because it was just unbelievable you know this was a guy you knew had all his talent and stuff like that he just needed for it to be realized and he needed to find it within himself because you know like you said earlier he was the chosen one and then you know three and b happened and everything like that and then he got caught he got cut and he went all over the world and eventually he found himself and that's where he needed to be. And, you know, he did flounder for a little bit, but it kind of goes back to the idea of like Kenny Omega floundering for a little bit in AEW. You know, you know, these guys have to get built up and even though they floundered for a little bit, eventually they found their footing and look where Drew McIntyre is now in the position that he so desperately needed to be. Exactly, exactly. And I think... I think for Drew, for Drew anyway, like I, I kind of like some of the side stuff too. Like the whole story with how he, like the Claymore, like came to be is like, have you ever, have you heard like the story of how the Claymore like came, came up? No, I don't think I have. So one of the matches when he was in 3MB, he, I think was trying to go for like a drop kick, but I think he like screwed it up and like, and that's how he formed the Claymore kick. It's basically the Claymore kick is kind of like a messed up drop kick or something. Wow. That makes sense. I, I see it. it so I think it's somewhere on YouTube, but I remember him talking about it. Cause like, it was one of those like matches on like Monday night raw that they did. And then he just, or, or it was like main event. I can't remember, mm-hmm. but he screwed up like like a, a drop kick or something and it, it looked like the claymore but then he was oh this actually works and he just found and he just kind of found his whole thing and like he does look like a super like like when he does that thing where he's like um, on the top rope and he's just like has his arms like out mm-hmm. i'm like he looks impressive yeah yeah he's out there like he's and i'm really proud for him and maybe and i don't know if lesnar looks interesting but like because 
well, it's it's tough for me to it's tough for any of us to say that right now because they haven't actually had a formal face off yet. Yeah. But you know, let's. I think we'll see what happens once Lesnar and uh, McIntyre um, actually start going face to face with each other. We'll see what happens. I'm just preparing myself for disappointment, so I'm just predicting right now that Lesnar is going to retain the title. But I I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But I'm just preparing myself for disappointment. Hey, look, Brock's in, Brock's in a good mood because if you saw how he's been with our truth, I think he's probably like he's probably in the best mood he's ever been in. You know, it's crazy. And like, let's let's talk about Ricochet for a little bit. Like, you know, he's wrestling Ricochet at Super Showdown. I'm guaranteeing you this. This is probably going to be one of Brock's quickest defenses, and it's going to be his fattest paycheck. He's gonna like get a pay like a huge paycheck from saudi for wrestling like less than 30 seconds or something like that and it's gonna it's gonna be ah god i think hold on uh, let me give you a counter a counter argument to that remember that all of lesnar's like matches with smaller superstars they're actually either better than than we thought they would be true keep that in mind because aj styles banger daniel bryan banger finn balor Close to a banger. Kofi Kingston. No, I'm kidding, man. Hey, 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 hey. Listen, listen, listen. Listen. We don't talk about that. Yeah, we don't talk. That, that's the reason I stopped watching WWE for like a few months because I was I was just like, yeah, nah, f*** this. I still don't, I still don't even watch SmackDown anymore because it's like, uh, it just, it's, it's so overproduced. It feels, it just feels unnatural. It doesn't even feel like a wrestling product anymore. It feels like a, like an entertainment product and it's like... I think that's how they want they want us to view it, and they want us to view Raw and NXT like as an actual wrestling show. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, like uh, to get a little bit off track for a little bit, there was the whole thing with Otis showing up to the, like the date with Mandy and stuff like that, and Dolph Ziggler was there. Like the way it was produced, it looked like an actual TV show rather than like a WWE production. But that's all Fox is doing and shit like that. So that's a whole other can of worms. But going back to like Ricochet versus Brock Lesnar, yeah. It, yeah, it has the potential to be a really good match. I'm surprised. That's crazy to think about. Like a couple years ago, you know, Ricochet was like everybody's favorite indie darling, and now he's going up against freaking Brock Lesnar. That's that's nuts. His ascent to the top is is just it's so it's been so fun to watch. It's been really fun to watch, and I'm I'm super happy for Ricochet. I've been a huge fan of him for years. You know, especially like. You know, coming up watching Lucha Underground, seeing him as Prince Puma, going up like side by side with like Rey Mysterio and stuff like that. And now they're both in the same company at the top of the wrestling industry together. And it's like, you know, it's it's so like heartwarming to see. I can't agree with you enough on that. But we let's talk. Go, let's go to SmackDown, though, because this is like the last thing we're going to talk about is The Fiend. We got it. I have thoughts on The Fiend right now that I need to get off my chest. Mm-hmm. I think The Fiend, The Fiend's opponent is slated to be Roman Reigns. Right. Though I actually think it should be John Cena. Ooh, that would be interesting. My thing is that, like, you know, a lot of people are saying that Goldberg isn't going to win, right? But, like, hear me out here. It's, like, and I hope I'm wrong. I really do hope I'm wrong. But, like... Goldberg doesn't seem the type to like really put anybody over like when when he when he's there it's like the spotlights on me yada 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 um if he beats the fiend at super showdown you know he gets a world title and then say he goes on to face Roman Reigns at WrestleMania that's that's spear versus spear right there that's probably that's a Vince McMahon wet dream right there it's Goldberg versus Roman Reigns 
that definitely sounds more sexier to, to Vince McMahon than The Fiend versus Roman Reigns or something like that. You know what I mean? It's, but I hope I'm wrong. I am hope I hope I'm wrong. Um, but yeah, The Fiend versus Roman Reigns. Uh, Fiend versus John Cena. That that'd be cool too. Yeah, I definitely. I definitely see that vision. You know, he's coming back to SmackDown tomorrow after like nearly a year of not being on WWE. I thought that was next week. Is that next week? I have no idea. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll yeah, see. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. It is next week. But um, yeah, he's coming back after nearly a year, and it, it's weird to think that John Cena was the guy when we grew up, and like he hasn't wrestled in over a year. So on the books, his last match was a loss to Finn Balor, which is crazy to think about. Yeah. Like, here's my reasoning for why I think The Fiend and John Cena would be a perfect WrestleMania match, or at least the ideal opponent for The Fiend. There's two things about The Fiend that everyone needs to understand. Number one, the whole point of The Fiend's storyline is this is Bray Wyatt's revenge tour. Mm -hmm. This is Bray Wyatt taking down every single person who has wronged him in his past, or has screwed him and made him, like, less, like, over so to speak. Like, the, he's basically ruined his career. This whole Firefly Funhouse thing, I didn't think it was going to go over, but it somehow managed to do that. Do so. It may, he's done an amazing job. The Fiend has looked amazing, and he's, they're selling merch left and right. And the reason I don't want Roman to face The Fiend at WrestleMania is, it's not that I don't want Roman Reigns to win the championship, because that's, like, the most, like, antiquated, like take to have on, on any wrestle, wrestling like internet thread or common common room or something. It's so antiquated. I just think maybe hold it off for another day. Yeah. For another time. Mm -hmm. Maybe SummerSlam. You know? Yeah, I, but, agree. I agree. And like, I feel like if Roman Reigns has to win the world, I mean, he's definitely going to win the world title again. But let it be against somebody you know, where the storyline just really just makes more sense. You know what I mean? Because, like, the whole thing is, like, look, Roman is great if you give him, like, let him be in a match with, like, another. He, like, he's great in matches. Mm -hmm. Like, let him be in, a like, a storyline that he's more comfortable in, where the guy that he's talking to doesn't make him look ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, that's why I'm arguing for Cena is because Cena can can be out, can out ridiculous people. Mm-hmm. Because here's the thing. You have the Firefly Funhouse, and that basically gives John Cena, like, an ammunition of insults. Absolutely. And it's not like, will it border on him actively burying the the Fiend or Bray Wyatt? Maybe. But, like, it's not going to matter if, like, the Fiend ends up winning anyway. And that kind of brings me to my second point. Every single opponent that the Fiend has faced, Finn Balor, The Miz, Daniel Bryan, their personalities have changed. Mmm. Finn Balor went from white bread babyface on the main rosters to the prince in NXT who just beat Johnny Gargano and may be on track to another NXT championship opportunity. Mm. You have Daniel Bryan, a very, very like an obnoxious eco, you know, eco, eco lover. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know the word like Epa. I, I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what though. I don't know either, but he goes from like his heel run at 
heading into WrestleMania, and he goes back to being the guy representing the yes, the yes movement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you had the Miz, which was like a small thing, but he changed him from like a mini a tweener to like a full on back to being the old Miz we we know and love. Yeah, yeah. Or or know and hate. That's that's a better way of putting it. That's a that's a really good point. I didn't even think about that. Wow. Now think now think about this. Imagine the Fiend beats Cena. Mm-hmm. He beats Cena at WrestleMania because this is his vengeance for WrestleMania 30, which yeah. in some way started his gradual decline. Absolutely. Then Cena can just leave. He's gone, and then you have the Fiend. He continues to be doing his whole thing. He can continue to find other people that because there's a lot of people that he can just continue to uh find seek vengeance on Mm -hmm. and you could bring in cena can be gone and then like in another year or another time he shows up and then that's when you reveal heal cena Mm, that would be so good you know me and my brother were talking about this the other day, and it's like, you know, Cena was faced his entire career because of all the little kids and stuff like that. But, you know, he's been gone for a year now. All these little kids, they probably don't even know who John Cena is or even care who John Cena is now because... That's sad. It's, it's Yeah, it's sad is one. And two, all the little kids that grew up with John Cena, they're grown up now. You know? So they want to... Like, we've been clamoring for Hugo Cena run for so long we could probably get that that you know that nwo hogan kind of run out of john cena but start actually that's not like the that's i i see where you're going with that comparison but actually the comparison i think you, you that aptly fits this is rock 2003 yeah, 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 comes that's, back. That's, that's more fair yeah yeah that's that and he's all hollywood you could have john cena in like one of his ridiculous dumb suits sunglasses indoors and he could just go off and just like start roasting an entire ta- city of fans. Yeah, like he doesn't need to be there. He has Hollywood on his side now. It, it's like you know, I understand. And then they kind of like puts the whole like Cena Rock parallel, and I understand that. But like, this is like the best opportunity. If you wanted to see heel Cena, this is the best chance to do it. Yeah, you have an actual excuse for why he turns heel, because the Fiend beat him, and every single p- opponent who has faced the Fiend. In a major match, their personality changes. Yeah. John Cena can go from, you know, superhero to just being like a narcissistic Hollywood like Super. celebrity. Yeah, yeah, so uh, yeah, it's crazy, man. That that's a really good suggestion. And um, you know, Cena is supposed to announce who I guess he's facing at WrestleMania. So I that's a really good suggestion. I didn't even think about that until now. And that's honestly, I really hope that happens. Apparently, it's been rumored that his opponent is supposed to be, quote unquote, underwhelming. And apparently, it's supposed to be Elias, which I guess the like the past was it two WrestleManias or so like they've they've encountered each other. So I guess they have to have like some sort of like payoff. But who cares? (laughs) Okay. It's like I I've completely forgot that Elias was a babyface now. Exactly, and it, it just it's a testament that goes to show like you know how WWE has a way of just like screwing up these things. You know, um, he remember how Elias went from like nuclear heat in Seattle, and then like a couple weeks later they just like turned him face or something like that. It was just like his whole main roster career has been like really really weird and now he's like doing this thing with braun Strowman versus cesaro shinsuke and Sami Zayn, and oh god 
that whole collective of superstars that I just named. <sighs> yeah, man. Shinsuke, Cesaro, and Sami Zayn, three of the most talented guys that they have on the roster, just doing absolutely nothing. I didn't mean to disappoint you there, man. No, no, no. It's all, it's all good. I kind of disappointed myself for bringing myself up to that point. But, yeah, like, you know, uh, yeah, I, I kind of lost my train of thought just getting lost in the thought of, like, what ifs with Shinsuke Nakamura and Sami Zayn. Like, damn, you remember how good their match at, what was it, TakeOver Dallas was? Shinsuke's debut match. and now It was amazing. That was one of my favorite matches of the, of the decade, honestly. And uh, now look at them. They're just... Two bumbling villains, you know. Just, just I, here. I'm going to kind of take you away, but take you away from that because I see that you're kind of in full-on nightmare mode. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Please, let's, please let's, take me away. Yeah. Let Let's talk. Let's talk about like an actual nightmare, though. Like, because what what have you been think? What have you thought about the fiend? Because I'm actually very interested. We haven't really talked about the fiend as much. <laughs> you know, it's funny how you how you asked that question. I think you saw this on uh, on Instagram. I actually ended up getting a Bray Wyatt tattoo, like the the let me in on my my left arm. So now I have a big ass fucking let me in written on my on my left bicep and like. Yeah, man, it's a like whenever people ask me what that means, you know, I don't tell them necessarily that it's it's Bray Wyatt or it's a WWE thing. I tell them that it's a symbol of reinvention because, you know, Bray Wyatt went from the leader of worlds, you know, just floundering, not knowing where the hell he's going to go. And then he took all this time off, came back with such a rejuvenated gimmick. The fact that they, they gave him like, you know, this full creative control it, it was symbolic of his rejuvenation, really. It was like, you know, he reinvented himself and became somebody new. But at the end of the day, you knew it was still Bray Wyatt. He still had that sinister aspect to him. But he wasn't like this backwood swamp cult leader anymore. He was this psychopathic, sadistic Mr. Rogers. And, like, who would have thought? Who would have thought that? we would see Bray Wyatt in this sort of element, like, you know, this, you know, we're really glad that you're our friend, that whole bullshit with, like, you know, his, his little cute little jingle and everything like that, you know, I just think it's such a phenomenal gimmick, and Bray Wyatt is just a phenomenal, phenomenal performer, you know, his matches, you, they don't need to be entertaining because it's the story that, that really counts. His match with Daniel Bryan at, what was it, the Royal Rumble, that match was really, really good. I was surprised at how good that match was because it's like, you know, at the end of the day, he's the fiend. It's, he's not supposed to be there to put on a, a great – he's not supposed to be putting on a wrestling clinic. He's supposed to destroy his opponent, and that that's what he needs to be doing. So it's like – he has this great character, and he's smart enough that, like, he worked himself into, like, this gimmick where it's, like, he doesn't even have to wrestle, like, these super, super intense matches. So, like, one, he's over with the crowd again, and two, he's, like, saving his body as well. So, yeah, that's my take. Uh, I love Bray Wyatt. He, he's a phenomenal, phenomenal talent. Nothing but respect for Bray Wyatt. It's crazy to think that, like, ten years ago, he was literally Husky Harris, and now... He's the fiend Bray Wyatt. Yeah, that was like one 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 critique I had about was like I'm not sure his matches are going to be good enough to really like get into that like that superstar level. Mm -hmm. 
But then you kind of just convince me. It's like, I don't think it doesn't need to be that way. Exactly. It really should be just like him destroying his opponents, like him choke out, choking the life out of somebody, even though that like that's it's supposed to be like, this is disturbing. You're not supposed to enjoy this. You're really supposed to like watch and dis- like despair as this monster is just gut like mauling down your heroes. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, the charisma's there. Like, they've done a really good job of protecting the Fiend. Like, he doesn't really appear that much. And if he does, he picks his... They're very, like, in a full pick-your-spots mode with it. Mm -hmm. I think I would ride this a little bit longer. And and the the end game for this is whether if it's Roman Reigns beating him at SummerSlam or, or something. But my personal preference is... It has to be a baby face with the purest heart. Mm-hmm. So what I'm basically saying is I'll, Mustafa Ali has to beat The Fiend. Ooh, ooh, <laughs> ooh. That's a, that's a hot take, but that's, that's a really interesting take. That's something I didn't even think about. You know, at work, the guy I sit next to, he worked for WWE for 10 years. Uh, he worked as a social media director, and he made a really interesting point that, like, in order to be Bray Wyatt, you know, all of, what you need to do is like take the mask off, and then during the match, and it's like once you once the mask is off, you realize that like Bray Wyatt is just it's just Bray Wyatt. It's it's not he's not the fiend anymore. His powers are just like taken away. So, you know, once they remove that mask, that could be like a really interesting storytelling element. But going back to what you said about Mustafa Ali, that's that's really interesting. What are they even doing with Mustafa Ali right now? Exactly. Wait, I know that it looks like they're not using him at all, but maybe they're just like, hold on a second. We have something for you. Let's wait a second. And then you have Mustafa Ali, whose backstory is one of probably the most babyface backstory possible. Yeah. His moveset is that where, like, he basically has to be a babyface. And he hasn't really done, like, a full heel thing. And, like, everybody can get behind Mustafa Ali. He has no interactions with The Fiend whatsoever. He could just win the match simply through, like, a random number one contender, like, six-pack or fatal four-way, like, match or whatever on SmackDown. Mm -hmm. He wins the match, and then you can set this whole thing up saying that, like, it's his his pure, like, pure-heartedness versus, like, the darkness of the fiend. Mm. And they could do it where it's, like, less ridiculous because, like, it doesn't need to be... There's nothing ridiculous with the fiend, honestly. Like, aside from, like, the red lighting, like, this is probably the most grounded, like, Bray Wyatt has been. Like, nothing weird happens. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think they, they slowly started getting rid of the red light because didn't he wrestle, like, regular lights against Daniel Bryan at the Royal Rumble? He did, but I think that was because, like, they couldn't really replicate, like, the red lighting inside of a baseball stadium. Oh, you're right, you're right. Ah, oh, well, honestly, they they should do away with the red lighting. It's kind of an eyesore. It, they've heard. I've heard that they might. They're trying to bring it back. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, it's, and I don't want to disappoint you, but this is why I brought up Mustafa Ali against the Fiend because this is why. I just think like if you're gonna end the the Fiend, you have to do it with like the, a very over baby face that everybody can get behind, mm-hmm. who has like no like. He hasn't, like, and the key thing is, he has to be someone that hasn't turned at all. Mm. He hasn't done a face or heel turn in his in his time in WWE yet. Or, like, not one that's pronounced enough where people will, remember, will like, remember it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, honestly. Hell yeah. And, like, one of, um, one of Mustafa Ali's catchphrases, I believe, is uh, hashtag be the light. 
I believe. I think that's what it is. But, like, yeah, he really is a whole huge proponent of, you know, the light and stuff like that. Whereas Bray Wyatt is the complete opposite. He's the dark. And so, yeah, that would make a really interesting dichotomy and make a really good storyline. And, yeah, it would propel – it would really propel Mustafa Ali to the, to the level that he needs to be because, like – you know, people people know who he is, but like he, they're not doing much with him besides like you know probably like dark matches and stuff like that. And it's really disappointing because he's such a phenomenal performer. And that's another homegrown talent right there. Yeah, I mean, like he wrestled like indies and stuff like that, but nobody knew who he was going into the cruiserweight classic and stuff like that. He organically got over through through being on SmackDown. So. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's an amazing suggestion. I really hope they go through with that if, if that's the case. Do you think, like, so, but do you think, like, because I've given, like, all my input and I feel bad, but, like, do you think, like, The Fiend's going to, like, end with Roman Reigns winning it? Or do you have, like, another idea with how The Fiend storyline's going to end? Uh, let me ask you a question. Do you think Goldberg is going to go over at Super Showdown? No, not at all. You know, yeah, everybody's been saying that, but I, I don't know. I hope you're right. You know, I hope you're right. It's just that I'm, I'm just so, I'm so scared, man. I'm, I'm genuinely so scared. It's like he's getting that big ass paycheck, and like the idea of him winning a world title, thinking about Vince and shit like that, and Spear versus Spear. Like it's just like these are things that like you know Vince McMahon just loves, and it's just like I'm, I'm kind of scared. But anyway, besides the point. Yeah. Um, I would hope The Fiend doesn't end with Roman Reigns. That would be kind of anticlimactic, you know what I mean? Because it's like, oh, it's right, it's Roman Reigns. Yeah, we know Roman Reigns can do it, but do we want to go that direction or do we actually want to do something unpredictable? And I think, excuse me, I think they will do something unpredictable. I don't know what, hence the unpredictability factor. But if they were to go the predictable route, yeah, it'll probably be Roman Reigns. And another thing is, like, I just hope hope Bray Wyatt lasts through WrestleMania. You know, WrestleMania, he should go over. He should retain the WWE title. Uh, what is it? The Universal title, I mean. Uh, yeah, it's kind of weird knowing that the Universal title is on SmackDown. No, no, I think he still, I think he has a regular WWE title, doesn't he? Or did he, oh no, he brought that with him. I'm, I'm so confused. Honestly, I just call it the SmackDown Championship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's the Universal title because he won it from Seth Rollins, if you if uh, if you remember. And Seth Rollins is the Universal Champion. So, yeah, Brock Lesnar had beat Kofi for the WWE title. Oh, God. Anyways, yeah. Bray, <laughs> Bray Wyatt should win at WrestleMania. And then he should lose at, like, SummerSlam or something like that. Whether it's to Roman Reigns or not, you know, another cool suggestion would, I think, be, like, Finn Balor coming out as the demon, you know, just he avenges his his first his demise because Bray Wyatt was the one who brought about his demise, and Finn Balor is just like slowly rebuilding himself back into popularity in NXT and stuff like that. And I feel like he's not going to be down down there forever. So if they ever choose to bring him back, we need to see Fiend versus Demon. You know, it only makes sense for that story to like complete itself because he. The Fiend went up against Finn Balor, the man, but we never, we haven't seen Finn Balor, the demon, in so long. And I feel like if if he brought back the demon, it would be a really, really good, good match. That would be a great match for Bray Wyatt, you know, considering that his matches haven't been 
you know necessarily five star classics but that that could be a five star classic and it'd be a really good way to finally put an end to the fiend is for Finn Balor to revive the demon character I that's that's a really interesting way of putting it I never actually thought about that well I'm gonna let's wrap things up here because we've gone over like an hour and 20 wow we we've got a we've gone over the Iron Man match limit wow time flies man time flies yeah and so I'm going to just wrap things up here by simply saying that's it for today. I'll post all my episodes on Twitter. So follow me at Susaraki1928. Plus check me out on Twitch as I've been streaming some Pokemon Pal- Platinum Nuzlocke and Persona 5. So just go find my channel, which is Sweet Mayo 1928 But for now, I'll see you guys next time.